We believe that alcoholism is a disease and that Alcoholics Anonymous is one solution to that disease. I'm here to bring you the voices of its members. Everyone that comes on the show, including myself, is an active member and has found recovery in the rooms of AA. As you listen, please take what works for you and leave the rest. Hi, my name is Don. I'm an alcoholic. It's good to be here. I'll qualify and say that my sobriety date is October 22nd, 2012. I celebrated 10 years. This last October, it was probably one of the hardest years of my sobriety, but nonetheless, uh, a big growth experience. I love AA. It's, it gives you everything that you need. And I'm actually experiencing a hard time today going through a breakup. My partner, she's struggled with some mental illness and it's just a time where we both need to just give each other some space. And, and of course this was scheduled for this day. And that happens all the time when I put myself out there and I want to be, and I connect to the program, I've been uh, leaning in more into the program the last few weeks and more the, and more so even than just the last year. Uh, not that I've not always been a participant of the program because I've learned that being in the program, the more you put in, the more you get in return and, and in return you get, you know, peace of mind and, you know, shot at a, a normal life and the fellowship in AA will never fail if, if you just raise your hand and ask for help. And um, I've been doing that a lot the last few weeks as I go through this hard time and I, in anticipation of, you know, this, this happening and, and AA has just surrounded me and my family and I feel very blessed. And if I was drinking or doing drugs right now, that this, this would not be the case. And, you know, I would, things would be a, uh, things would be a lot worse. With that said, I'll say that I do have so many other blessings today because of the program. I work in an industry where in advertising, (laughs) I never thought I'd work. I was fired from a number of jobs due to my drinking. Although my job is to entertain clients and, and we do have expense accounts and we are encouraged to drink um, or do business in a function that is social and and that's the way that only way that I thought you could do business was by drinking. And, and it turns out that's not the case. And I go to plenty of functions and, and enjoy them, in fact, um, and there to serve clients and feel very blessed today to have a great job in, in the industry. And as a matter of fact, I was at a, a conference this week down here in Miami. And I was talking to some, uh, some advertisers that, you know, their chief marketing officers from Fortune 100 companies, and, and I'm not saying that to brag. I, I just say that because I can't, I couldn't believe I had confidence to look somebody in the eye and could have conversations like that and work for a, a company like I do today. Um, and that's just such a gift of the program. And um, I'm also the oldest in my family. I have a very large family, and I'm blessed to have siblings and nieces and nephews and mom and dad and um, a whole host of family. I I recently moved back to Florida a few years ago 
work remotely because the job affords me that and I get to uh, spend a lot of time with family. I'm also a triathlete and I've gone to some pretty high heights in the, uh, in the sport of triathlon. I, I compete in Ironman or a half Ironman specifically, and I've qualified twice for a world championship race and I will be racing in Finland at the end of August this year. There'll be a few hundred people in my my age group from around the world that will will compete, and uh, you know that's just <laughs> insane to say out loud. Uh, when I was a younger man and growing up, I was uh, a runner, and I loved cross country, and I, I did wrestling, and always competed in sports. But as I fell into uh, addiction and started drinking and, and doing more drugs. I, those things fell by the wayside. And, you know, this is something that getting sober in my early thirties, you know, exercise has been a big part of my sobriety. It's, it's helped me regain my physical stature and, you know, help me with anxiety. And, and I, tr- I tended to do a lot of exercise in the mornings. That's when, um, you know, my head's a little swirly and, and it's just become this, it's just taken on this whole new life exercise in general and as a result of it i also had owned a business in new york city where we helped athletes recover from uh, hard workouts and that was a really exciting venture that i did for a number of years um, which i never thought i as a drunk i'd ever own a business let alone in in new york city so uh I, i just say all these things there's a lot of blessings and as an alcoholic or addict sometimes i could tend to uh I don't know if this is just limited to us, but I can focus just on negative things or things that aren't going my way. And I've learned that later down the road, usually, not always right away, that things are are happening for a reason. And and I've been and I'm well well taken care of with the God of my understanding, my higher power, who I've connected to through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. My old partner, girlfriend, actually told me when I went into treatment, she said, you just need to pray. <laughs> and I didn't. And that's what I did. And I asked for help. And the help's, the help's always been there. And they say when you come in your first year, if you write down on a piece of paper all the things that you want, and you, you know, and if you were to only get those things, you'd be selling yourself short because none of these things I've just mentioned. I, I also just moved into a new townhouse here wherever on my radar. So I, I just wanted the chaos to stop and I didn't want to die. And, 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 and now I have a full life and uh, I get to experience everything. I, I get to experience going through a great relationship, ending relationships, you know, starting new jobs, you know, being laid off, you know, leaving great jobs, going back to jobs meeting a host of different people in different countries through the program and, and traveling on my own as traveling period. I've been lucky to, uh, to travel to a number of States in the, here in the U S for work and, and for fun. And, um, I've been to meetings in Europe, Japan, Australia, all over the place. And, uh, it's the first thing I do when I, when I land somewhere, it's, it's, I go first things first is I go to a meeting. And I know where I could, I know, and I know where I need to go when I'm in that place. And so I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about what it was like. 
what happened and uh i've already shared a bit about what it's like now so um yeah i, I started drinking pretty young age i mean my family as i've heard that's not everybody's story but likes to drink <laughs> so irish catholic spanish on one side we always had you know i have a big family so we had lots of birthday parties funerals marriages etc everything involved drinking and time with family and i equated drinking as something that you did to celebrate or um, something that you did to bond with others through a hard time and i i i can say i I did like the taste of beer and alcohol pretty much from the start. And more important, I liked the effect that it produced in me. So it, it made me, uh, it made me feel like I was a, a funnier person, a bigger, taller person. I'm not, I'm not that large in stature, but, uh, um, it made me feel comfortable in my own skin. And that's, I don't know if that's being uncomfortable in your skin is, when you're when you're younger, only something that alcoholics go through, but it's something that I certainly uh, felt. And uh, when I found a solution, I think this is where we part ways with people that don't have this pro- problem. I uh, I wanted more of it, and I and I and I kept wanting more of it, and I my body wanted more of it, my mind wanted more of it. I, I definitely have the allergy where. Uh, you know, once, once, once it comes into my system, I don't know what's going to happen. And I want, I just, I just need to get more of it. And, you know, I don't have it. I'm thinking about it. So, you know, going back, drinking at family parties, I think I was blacking out pretty immediately in middle school with friends, drinking, getting into parents' liquor cabinets and having a good time. Kind of like, you know, you know what we did last night and you see what he said or she said, I didn't. Uh, I grew up in South Florida, and we would we would go to the beach and hang out by the uh, docks. We said at the intercoastal and these picnic tables, and we'd all buy alcohol from neighborhoods that weren't the best, and we would go there and meet every weekend and and party, and and I just loved it, and uh, and I and I drank until, like I said in the beginning, it was to black out and to get out of myself and um, to be a different person and. And I had some consequences pretty quick, pretty quickly by, by senior year. I mentioned I, I, I wrestled and, and did running and I, I let go of those, those sports. I, it was, um, I did have an injury running. It was frustrating. So I, I set out the season for cross country and then when wrestling, I actually showed up to a, a match drunk and was thrown off the team. And, um, I was going to a Catholic school, a private school. My mom, this single mom, putting me through this really nice school down here, and we didn't come from a lot of money. And I was on a scholarship, both academics and sports, and they wanted to throw me out of the school. And I had a number of demerits, as you, as you, as you might, as they call them. And she begged for them to to keep me there. And I was already accepted to a number of universities. I was pretty good academically. And they let me graduate, but they wouldn't let me walk across the aisle to get my diploma. And I couldn't go to grad night, which is like when they shut this world down in, uh, in Orlando. And instead I threw a party on Fort Lauderdale beach. And at the end of that party, I threw a table off the balcony and it crashed the car's windshield and the police had to come. And 
my grandfather came to get me and and uh i was scared i was like you know i really respected him and but it was just a blip in the road it was just like don't do that again and off i went to university so i you know i went to i ended up going to school at university of miami accepted number of schools in the u.s you know joined a fraternity and was hanging out with guys that were jocks and dated you know, with lots of women and uh, partied hard. And there I discovered drugs and, and I thought it was okay because these were people that were going to college and were physically in shape and, you know, they had money and they had everything that I wanted. And I, it seemed like, well, they're doing these things. So they're acceptable because I never thought I would get into, into drugs and, um, we were we were partying on South Beach, and I was going to clubs. And a lot of them had their parents' credit cards, and we were at nightclubs with table service, and we're 19, 20 years old. And I was like, "This is this is where I want to be. Right? And I want to I want to be with these people. I want to follow them to wherever they're going." And and I did that after college. I went to New York, and and I was picking up this bad. You know, my disease my disease was progressing. And I was starting to get panic attacks right before I left college. And I didn't know they were withdrawals from alcohol. <laughs> so uh, a friend of mine said, why don't you get prescribed Xanax? And, and now I'm doing, you know, drinking a lot of alcohol, doing drugs, taking prescription medication. And a year after college, I, I'm off to, uh, to New York City. And that year before I left, it was, it was a mess. It was... <laughs> bouncing around on people's couches and my parents had me there for a little while and they threw me out. It was just kind of just very wild. So my disease was definitely starting to catch up with me. And I, I followed a friend who was just like me slept on his, he gave me the keys to his apartment. I was like 23 years old and I was sitting, sleeping on his couch and he got me a job in advertising and advertising sales. And, um, and we had a boss who turned out who ends up who ended up being an Alcoholics Anonymous and still sober, who would send us downstairs to 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 buy drugs and and he would we would meet at the bar and and we would uh we would get high. <laughs> and I was like, and now I was getting paid a salary to to get high and drink and and I was taking clients out and and for you know these large companies agencies that you know represented these large these co- large companies and i was just like i definitely as it read in the big book felt like i i had arrived and i ended up not lasting in that job very long six months into it my friend and i who's who's since passed on from the disease um decided to quit our jobs and run over to canada we would become bartenders there and we took our bulldog with us and uh or his, and we crossed the border somehow, and we went and we went through all of our money within a week, and we realized what we had done. We had spoiled a good opportunity, and we thought we were each other's, uh, I guess, uh, <laughs> that worse, you know, bad influence. So we we ran with our tails back to New York City, and um, and it empty U-Haul, and kind of a funny story. I you know I was. I share it sometimes, but, uh, but you know, just, just, just madness. I decided it was my friend. That was, you know, the reason why I was drinking so much, you know, it couldn't have just, it couldn't just be me. Uh, you know, it was 
too young and too smart, you know, for, for, for alcoholism. And then that wasn't even really on my radar, but which is crazy. And so I, I had met a girlfriend and I ended up moving in with her when we got back and she kept me at bay, I'll say for a while, although we liked going out a lot. We were young in the city with our friends in our twenties. We were together a number of years. And as we started getting older, you know, we're in, you know, 27, 28 years old now. It wasn't as cute anymore to be blacking out, saying things that you didn't mean to people. And, and the ultimatum started to come where it was like, hey, if you don't stop drinking, we can't be together. So um, as a true alcoholic, my answer to that was to drink in the morning, <laughs> drink during the day. Um, I'll hide it. And uh, it's pretty crazy when you read a lot of the stories, like when you hear about other alcoholics who've hidden alcohol in their sock drawer and, you know, other places in their houses. And that is something I did myself, um, especially when I was dating uh, my girlfriend then. And I'd be able to handle it for a little while and then I couldn't and I'd go off on vendors. And then ultimately she was just like, I can't handle this anymore and i started to appear in hospitals and detoxes in new york city and she said I, when i came out of a detox when i was 29 years old she was like i can't help you here's a one-way ticket to florida and i was shipped off to my father's in orlando area it was actually a rural part of florida outside of orlando and uh, the only thing i knew to do was to pack six bottles, large bottles of vodka because I was going to need it. Meanwhile, that had been uh, the reason why I was in this situation. And um, I'd already been fired from a couple jobs. Girlfriend's gone. I'm shipped off with my belongings. I don't know how I've gotten there in my mind, but I just, I cannot give up drinking at this point. And it's something that I just have to have. And um, I'm at my dad's house. There's boar running around in the front yard. It's very rural. It's completely opposite from where I had just come from and very confused and start realizing how much of a problem I have. I mean, that's how much denial I was in. And um, they're recommending that I should you know, think about treatment. And I'm like Googling it and calling and hanging up the phone. And then eventually they, it, it's just too much for them to handle. And, and that, you know, I end up going, getting shipped off to a rehab and, and not to get into too many details, but I was in a number of rehabs for the next couple of years. It was just in and out of rehab. I couldn't believe, you know, I didn't want to face the fact that I was an alcoholic and couldn't drink again. And finally, I was at the point where I got robbed. All my things were found or some of them were found in a dumpster near my father's. When I had been shipped back to his area after a rehab stint. They were thrown into garbage bags and I had my, my fancy Gucci lovers on. I always joke around. And then I finally said, I'll, I'll do whatever you guys say. And, and I went to treatment and for the third time. And I, and I really wanted to stay sober and I, and I did everything they said. And I was there a couple months and I went to a halfway house and, um, and then I met a woman and I was in halfway and, and I was, things were going well. I was working the program and, and I, and I knew that it was a direct correlation to AA and everything I had been taught in treatment 
yet I drifted and she became my higher power. And then we moved in together and that was down in Florida. And then I ended up going back up to New York City, interviewing for a job. And the gentleman that interviewed me was just like my boss I had described earlier. And we met at a bar. He had extra, he had paraphernalia on him and asked me if I wanted some. And I said, of course I do. And and then another year or two was set in motion where I was, I had moved back and I was in and out of AA now at this point. Now I'm drinking and drugging with a head full of AA, a head of AA. I forget the saying, like a belly full of booze and a head full of AA. I think that's the phrase. And uh, so I'd get 90 days and go out and then 90 days, go out, 90 days hospital, 90, 120 days rehab. That last relapse, I woke up on a Monday morning and I had 100 days, 120 days. And I had anxiety and I was not comfortable in my skin and I wasn't fully working the program. I was going to meetings, but I wasn't doing the steps and I woke up with anxiety and I forgot about everything that had happened. And I ran downstairs to a Dwayne Reed and bought two tall cans of beer and I drank them in the garbage can shoot room. And it set me off for that whole week. I was in and out of blackouts at clients' offices. I had this guy in Brooklyn AA taking me to meetings, work meetings. He was acting as like a chauffeur. And he, I think he has a some sort of service where, you know, I think people can be watched <laughs> when they're going through some sort of hard time. I don't know what you call it. But anyways... I'm supposed to fly down to Florida at the end of that week for a, for a conference, similar to what I've had this week. And my phone went off Thursday, before, you know, the before the Friday, the day before the Friday, I was supposed to go. And that, that, that was always a telltale sign for my family that something was wrong. And um, you don't just shut your phone off right before you're supposed to come visit and go down, you know, to see, go down to the same area for work. And so when I got off the plane, this, this gentleman had, uh, chauffeured me down they were quite upset and uh here i was again in the same state of mind you know didn't know what to do and with me so we you know we went back home and and i i just had to drink and you know they they had me i was in the room and i i decided to like run out in the middle of the night and to neighbors garages to find beer and it was just I, I just had to to drink, and at that point, they were they knew I had to go back to treatment. So my father drove me to treatment in Boynton Beach, Florida, and then at the watershed, which isn't there anymore, and it's a wonderful place. I woke up on Monday morning. I was taken in on Sunday, and I missed. I had slept in. I missed only one group, and I finally leaving out a lot of stories. I didn't share in between, just surrendered. And I think, you know, God gave me a lot of grace, but I, I just exhausted all options. I think it had been five years of just in and out of hospitals and treatment centers. And as I mentioned, I'm the oldest of oldest in my family of 
cousins and and siblings and I I was gonna you know I've always wanted to be the the man in the the family where everyone looked up to and just wanted to be there for them and and now I was faced with the proposition of just becoming like a bum and um and I just didn't want that I went to every single group that they said you had I had to go to I did everything they told me I helped people that came in after me so even though I only had a week and somebody had two days I helped them and that was just the way that's just the way it's been ever since I mean it's I found that by helping other people it helps me and I stayed there for 45 days as I said and they they wanted me to continue on in treatment in Florida but I for some reason I knew this time everything was going to be okay and I was going to go back and get a sponsor and um, when I had entered into treatment it was the week right before Hurricane Sandy I'll just share that and I had blown through all my money and I couldn't have paid my rent, but they had shut our building down because they couldn't get into it. It was all flooded. And I was fired from my job in treatment. I thought I'd be okay. I thought I could beat the system because if I sent them a letter before that happened, but they were a small company, they, they didn't have to follow those rules. But long story short, I reached out to them before I came back to the city and I said, I'd take any, any job even if it was a lesser job, you know, lesser title job. And for some reason they gave me a chance. And for some reason I was able to go back to the apartment. They had finally opened it up and we didn't have, we hadn't had to pay the rent because we were out and, and hurricane Sandy certainly didn't happen so that I could keep my apartment, but that's just the way things worked out. So I went back to the city and it was, it was December and December of 2012. And I was living with a girlfriend and, and it was um, it was hard. I, I went right to meetings. I found a home group in Tribeca, the Tribeca group in in Lower Manhattan. And I went every night and I met my sponsor and and we started the steps pretty immediately. And and a few months into living back with a girlfriend, she actually experienced a lot of problems due to her drinking. So I was newly sober and in the front row was um, someone and going through their own bottom. And that was very difficult to navigate, but I had a sponsor and ultimately we had to um, have her family get her some help. At 33 years old in 2013, I was uh, for the first time on my own and I was very scared. And what I decided to do that first weekend that she had left with her family to get help was to go to as many meetings as I could. And it happened to be Manhattan Share Day. It was a Saturday. I went to seven meetings that day. And I just stayed sober. I just met some really good people. Well, I had a lot of at the same time I did. And we and we help each other. And uh and it was a very special first year. Like I just I was so lucky we would go to meetings and we would go to the diner after and we would go do a lot of things together. We would go to movies, just hang out, 
I ended up getting within a year a new, a new job. I left that company after a year. And the first day we went to lunch, the salespeople all asked me if I wanted to have a drink. And I said, no, I don't drink. And, um, and I felt good about it. And for the first time, like, you know, that was something that had tripped me up in some stories in the past, but I felt less than, and, and I just confidently said I didn't drink. And I went on to become one of their top salespeople. I learned that half of work is showing up for the job. And that was an incredible experience. And I was part of a company at an incredible time in advertising technology where things were just really exploding. And we were kind of in the right place at the right time. And and I worked with a lot of great people and we 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 grew we grew the business and it was it was a lot of fun and and I started started dating. And I met my wife, sober, and we married. She was from Australia. That's the reason why I'd gone there. <laughs> I shared I'd been there in the meetings, and I, we we took a couple trips out there, and and we had a nice, really nice marriage for six years. And the pandemic rolled around, and uh, we weren't able to weather that storm, but. Um, we are still really good friends. It was very amicable. And that would probably, first of all, we would have never met <laughs> if I wasn't sober. We certainly wouldn't have ended if I wasn't sober the way that we did. And in between, we had started that business I mentioned. A lot of things happened really fast for me. That's not everybody's experience. The career and getting married. And I hit a little plateau at like three years. And I was like, what next, God? You know, like, what else do we got? At that point, it was, what else can I give? And it was a slew of sponsees that came into my life. And I and, and gentlemen have come into my life ever since at the right time where I'm able to help them and they're able, you know, and I need the help as well. So it's that's been a super interesting part of the spiritual program of Alcoholics Anonymous. So we, we fast forward to the pandemic and my wife and I are having problems and I fled to Florida and it's the beginning of 2021. I didn't know what to do. The city was a mess and I was just not in a good space. And we were not going in person meetings and I was staying sober on Zoom and limited to the things we could do. And, and I came home and it was so nice to be with my family. And be uh, at a barbecue outdoors with just a couple of friends and to go to a couple meetings with a mask on nonetheless, but just to be in some uh, some sort of normalcy. And I didn't want to go back. So we drifted further apart and you know ultimately we um we, we decided it wasn't, it just wasn't going to work out. And, um, I, I'll say that that part was handled. It could have been handled probably better. <laughs> I probably should have came back or worked harder on it, but I, you know, nothing happens on accident. And, um, luckily it, everything's very amicable and, 
we've helped each other through it. And we've actually both, we, I met her boyfriend and she had met my, my girlfriend at the time. So it's a very good relationship, but, uh, I did have a really hard time when we finally made that decision and I started acting out going on lots of dates and lying and, and cheating. And I'll just, just to be honest. And, and I was using women, I'd say, or sex <laughs> or relationships as a way to cope where I needed to, you know, utilize the program more. And, um, it did catch up with me, but the good thing is, is that I kept talking about it and I knew that it wasn't the right thing because when you get, when I get sober, when I got sober, I learned that practicing principles in all my affairs feels good and is the right thing for me to do. And when I'm not doing that, it, it doesn't jive with this, this path that I'm on. And that was a huge lesson that I learned with the divorce and, you know, heading into the, you know, the, the relationship that I'm in now that's about to end. But anyways, I'm going on a tangent on that, but it had reconnected me. You know, I felt like I'd hit another bottom in the program, an emotional bottom. And through the help of my sponsor, talking to him about it all the time, talking to people in meetings down here all the time. Um, and ultimately just finally surrendering, you know, all of that to my higher power. It, 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 it made for another growth experience that I, I hadn't even considered in AA. And, um, part of that has come through not just reconnecting with the program, but also through, uh, through therapy. And there's things that. I've learned drive the things that I do in relationships and things that I experienced when I was younger and as a child and any sort of trauma that happened. Just a lot of insight into in, more into my behavior and than I ever would have ever imagined I <laughs> I find. Uh, about myself if I wasn't sober. And, and I've heard a lot of alcoholics share their experience having to do more outside of AA, you know, whether it be therapy or religion, other things, yoga, meditation. Um, and fast forward now, I, you know, I, I, I do therapy once a week. It's not, AA is my primary focus, but it, it's, it's a huge part of my recovery now. And and I also meditate daily now. And that's helped me tremendously. And my goal now more than ever has been to be more present. Because a lot of this anxiety that I used to feel, and I can feel still at times, is me looking back on something in the past. Or, um, or when I'm in fear, it's me thinking about something that's going to happen in the future. And the future hasn't even happened right now. And very simple ideas, but hard to hard to live without for me, some sort of practice. And for me, it's just been getting on an app, a meditation app and spending as little as three minutes or five minutes a day and in the morning before I even do anything. And, and that's how I connect to, to God. And, and I'm able to think, Hey God, keep me sober today and help me to, to be of service. 
So I'm starting to blank. Every time I that happens in a qualification, it usually means it's time for me to uh, to wrap it up. So I just want to say that uh, I love Alcoholics Anonymous, and I feel very grateful to speak on this podcast. I've often traveled listening to uh, other speakers on podcasts, and it's helped me tremendously. I hope this helps somebody when they're listening to it, whether they be on a plane or a train or, or in their automobile or wherever they are, even at home. And I wish everyone well. Thank you. Thank you, Don. I like how you started your story with how it is now. And it was all, uh, it was happy, but also sad because of your current breakup. And I'm glad that you had service work to do today. And uh, I really liked what you said about the fellowship will never fail. So hopefully you feel a little bit better now than when we started. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't thought about a lot of those things in a while, of course. Yeah. (sighs) Can you tell me about your higher power? You mentioned it a couple of times, but I think you grew up. Well, it doesn't matter what you grew up. Tell me about your higher power today. My higher power today. I call God. And. I guess it's stemmed sort of from my religion, you know, growing up as a child. Like, So I guess it does matter. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You go, you go. I don't know if you want to continue, but yeah. No, I do. I do. I Um, really want to hear. I really want to hear. Connect it all. Let's hear it. Yeah, so my higher power really stems from this idea of a God growing up, you know, going to Catholic school. And um, I've actually since discovered a non-denominational church it's open to all and it's a christian church and we talk we often talk of god or or jesus and and that's that's where my higher power lies is through the through the church there my higher power i find i like that phrase you can find go find your higher power on your higher powers turf so I, I, I go find my higher power in church on Sundays, but also out in nature daily because nature is just way p- more powerful than I am <laughs> um, or any human being. Yeah, my first higher power was this gigantic evergreen in my, not my first higher power, but my first higher power in sobriety was a big tree in, in my neighbor's backyard. And I oh, really? still <laughs> have very fond feelings of that tree. I I think I just, sometimes people in the rooms will bash Catholicism and I've been known to do it myself. And I, I mean, I'm not bashing it, but I guess it comes off as bashing um, because there's this whole setup of confessing and then forgiveness and being tested and this punishing God. And so I I guess that's when I'm like, it doesn't matter what your childhood was because I I'm now I'm sensitive to the people that are still, still practicing Catholicism. Um, so that was my, that was that whole thing. I totally think it connects. What we grew up with, of course, influences what we believe today, good, bad, or otherwise. Yeah, I don't, to be to your point, I don't really get into that a lot in my share. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, it's kind of like I keep that personal and, and, uh, because I don't want to turn somebody off. Yeah. Of the whole yeah. higher power thing or the Catholic? No, I get into higher power and oh, okay. I, I just say God but I don't get into like my own understanding of that and <laughs> which I don't have an understanding of still. <laughs> Nobody <Right>. does really. 
for me, the whole thing is just, I tell my kids to just remain open-minded. Even when you think you got it figured out, just yeah. remain open-minded and willing to do the work. And yeah, I've, before, I'm like, for all we know, everybody has their own higher power. <laughs> like, who knows? We all try to like share the same one, but we don't know. Nobody knows. So figure out what works for you. And and when you think you figured it out, you haven't. So stay open-minded. That's kind of my party line with them. But that's my parenting. So um, let me ask you a couple more questions if you still have time. You threw a table off the balcony and your grandfather picked you up. And then you mentioned uh, moving back to your dad. So I've heard a bit about grandpa and, and dad, but not about mom. Yeah. So do you, is, is mom still around? She is. Yeah. She actually, I think I mentioned she was a single mom. Yeah. Okay. You did. You did mention she was a single mom and that she begged them to keep you in the school. Um, How is your relationship with your folks now? So my relationship's really good with both. My mom's remarried, my dad. Um, Our relationship's really good. He actually had left us when we were in high school and moved away and like, it's actually part of the issues that I've been addressing in therapy with abandonment, Mm. but I've since like forgiven him. And, um, and he just moved back like a few months ago and he was, he was actually helping. He's helping me a tremendous Mm. amount throughout this whole thing that I'm going through right now. So it's, it's interesting. That relationship's changed. That's sweet. So for the newcomer, I just have a couple more questions for the newcomer that, has struggled maybe they're in that five years of where you exhausted all options and you've been in and out for five years is there something that happened during that time period that made things different you stayed for 45 days and then you made the comment that you knew everything was going to be okay was there something different that you did something that the newcomer can do to make it happen was there anything that anybody could have done at that time to make it happen sooner for you. So it's kind of a two part question. I can repeat it if you want. Yeah. Okay. So first part, what was different that last time? What was different is that I feel like I just exhausted all options. Like I really tried hard not to be an alcoholic and I, you know, I finally actually believed there was only two paths. It was like one was sober and the other was you're going to be a bum. And I always thought there was some sort of middle ground. And at that point I was just like, no, there's not for you. So there was an acceptance there. And I also think some sort of grace because I think I took steps one, two and three in rehab that first week when I was like, all right, I'll do whatever you say. I don't want to die and I don't want to be a bum. And and that's, you know, that, that was how I felt, which was completely different than other times where it was like, get me out of rehab. I don't belong here. That's how it started the first time. Good for you people. (laughs) But this isn't, this isn't me. So the second part of the question was was there anything that anybody could have done to shorten that five year period where you were going in and out? 
I don't, I don't believe so. And we all say like things happen when they're supposed to. I think I had a pretty large ego and I just think that, uh, I needed to be humbled, honestly, as I mentioned with the garbage bags and just like giving away everything materially. Otherwise I don't think if, if I had a lot of those things, I think I would have just continued blotting on until, you know, I was no longer here. I mean, that's the reality for me. Do you have anything that you want to share that came into your mind or that you're thinking of now that didn't make it into your story? I was, I've been thinking about this idea in meetings lately to just let, just let the, the spirit or, or the program just wash over me. Cause I, I often think of like when I leave a meeting, it feels like I have taken a windshield wiper and now I, I see clearly and I'm present and I'm calm and my shoulders have, you know, relaxed. But if I just, now it's like, just give myself to the care of the room and let it just wash over me no matter how uncomfortable it is, because I know I'm going to feel better if I just do that. And I don't know why, like I've needed so much convincing. I mean, I've had, I've had so much experience with that, but I just want to say to somebody that's new to just believe that I believe in that. And it does happen. You just give yourself to the care of the room. You, you will feel better and stay sober. I mean, that's, that's what's happening right now in this hard time that I'm going through and every hard time that I've been in. Any final message to those that have been on recovery road for a while and have uh, drifted a bit? I'd say for myself, having hit a bottom in year 10, um, if you're at a plateau, I mean, what I found valuable was addressing things I, I thought I'd never need to do address in the past. Not that everybody has, you know, trauma from their childhood, but I also had put off things like meditation. And since using both of those new tools, it's just taking my sobriety to like a new height, really, and not to be corny, but I'm into like sound baths now and like, you know, seeking all these different things that are different spiritual experiences, you know, that I, I never imagined I would even care about with like chanting. And there's just so much out there and so much to go with. Everything's anchored in AA, but, you know, I'm even open to, you know, Buddhist principles <laughs> and different learnings. And um, I, I think just remaining a seeker. It's just been really like a gift that I'm, I'm lucky that I, I feel lucky that I have like that willingness, but it's often fueled by, you know, some, some desperation too at the same time, but I'll take it. We are 10, we tend to be stick people. Like we're motivated by the stick or the carrot. I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm a stick person. Put me in pain and then I'll change. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Don, for your service. I really appreciate 
I appreciate you not rescheduling. Not that I mind, but I'm I'm glad that you were able to be of service today, and I'm glad to have heard your story. Yeah. No, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. For more information, read the first 164 pages of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous or visit keepcomingback.net.